Amen. How many of you guys have been watching the news lately? How many of you guys notice that, man, it is getting strange out there? Have you known with people's behaviors? Like, you, just when you think you've seen it all, all this obtuse stuff going on, people acting like, are you kidding me? And then here comes the next day, and here's another strange thing they're doing. Have you noticed that's getting strange out there? Yeah, big time. In fact, now, now that's the world. See, I, I expect the world to do that. You know, they, why, they don't know Christ. You know, I'm not condoning it, but I expect it, okay? But I don't know about you, but it's getting pretty strange in the church as well. Have you noticed that? It's getting really strange. In fact, let me, let me, let me share some things that I've come across. And, you, and this is from the church, right? This is the church, right? Isn't it strange? Hey, isn't it strange how we Christians believe what the newspapers say, but we question what the Bible says? That's kind of strange, isn't it? Isn't it strange how we can be more worried about what other people think about us than what God thinks about us? And that's kind of strange, you know? And isn't it strange you can't find a word to say when you're praying? But, man, you got no trouble thinking about what to talk about a friend. Just rolls off the tongue, man. No rehearsal, no script, no... That's... Oh, he's going to Midland already. We're in trouble. Hey, isn't it strange how two hours seem so long when you're at a church service? Come on! But how short they seem when you're watching a good movie? It just blows right by. What's going on? That's strange. Hey, isn't it strange how difficult and boring it is to read one chapter of the Bible? Come on, my eyes are blurry. But, man, you could whip through 100 pages of a popular novel. Man, that's just amazing. That's strange. Isn't it strange how we need to be informed about a church event two to three weeks in advance just to see if we can put it in our schedule? But, hey, you can adjust it the last minute. Hey, you want to go to the game? I'll be right there. That's kind of strange. Hey, isn't it strange how difficult it is to learn a fact about God to share with others, but how easy it is to learn and understand and extend and repeat gossip? That's really strange in the church. Isn't it strange how some say, hey, I believe in God, but still follow Satan, which who also, did you realize he believes in God too? James chapter 2, even the demons believe in God and they shudder. Believing in God don't get you to heaven. Hey, isn't it strange how someone can be so fired up for Christ on Sunday, but being an invisible Christian the rest of the week, we call them secret agent Christians. Well, what's up with that? Excuse me, that's strange. Isn't it strange how everyone wants to go to heaven, provided they don't have to believe, think, say, or do anything the Bible says? Hey, folks, it is getting strange out there in the world. The news, it's going wacky, right? But, folks, it's getting just as wacky in the church, okay? And, uh, and as crazy and strange as all those things are, believe it or not, I found something that I think is even stranger. Can anybody guess what it is? When we go around acting like what? Practical atheists as Christians, man, what are we doing? We say we believe in God, but half the times, so what are we doing? With our lips and our lies, we're acting like God's not even there. And it's not just this detrimental in our walk with God. It keeps other people from believing in God. They're watching us, okay? So to avoid this irony of you and I as Christians living like these practical atheists but not knowing who God is, we're going to continue our study on the character of God. Now, we've already seen the first thing about God we need to know. We're here for what? A real reason. Hello. <laughs> you know, God is real. It's not make-believe. He really does exist. The second thing, the good news is through Jesus Christ, what do we get? A personal, intimate. God is personal. He's intimate. A personal, intimate, loving relationship with who? The creator of the universe. Okay, last time I checked, that's pretty cool. Okay, the third thing we saw, God is what? He is wise, right? He knows everything. He never gets it wrong, so why would you go anywhere else when you need advice? The fourth thing, he's sovereign. He not only controls all things. If you love him, do you love him? Raise your hand. Right? He's promised to work all things together for good. You talk about a powerful, wonderful uh, truth that is. And speaking of which, the fifth thing, he's powerful. God can do, he can meet any need he wants. Hey, praise God, he can save anybody he wants. You're looking at one, right? In fact, turn to somebody and say, man, praise God, he saved you. Right? <laughs> he must be powerful, right? And uh, he is, and that's the good news. In the last eight times we saw the sixth thing, God is what? He is holy, he is holy, he is holy. It's the only attribute of God in the scripture mentioned three times in a row for emphasis. God wants us to know all his attributes, but man, he is sending a clear message. You better get this one. This is what holds it all together. And so we began that journey to take a look about the holiness of God. We went back to the holy word of God, and we saw the reaction of people when they encounter the holiness of God, the removal 
ridicule of people. He has a zero tolerance for sin. His reminders to people in the traveling tabernacle and the Ten Commandments. And last time, there is a payday. It's called retribution for people. And there we saw how great and fearful, frankly, the holiness of God really is. Because there is a necessity of a hell, and we took a look at the nature of hell. Hell is real. There is a price to pay if you don't want to receive God's mercy through Jesus Christ. Somebody's going to pay for the sin. It's either Jesus or you, and the way you will pay it is by rejecting Christ. You will pay by going to hell. That's what the Bible says. That's how fearful of a standard God's holiness is. You made your decision, and God will honor that decision, then to hell you will go. Why in the world would you want to do that is beyond me. Especially when you learn the next attribute, and that next attribute is this. God is a God of what? Love. Now, what you got to understand, folks, is this. It's not just God is a God of love. We'll say that many times. It's not just that God is loving. It's not just that God is lovable. The Scripture says God is love. And that's a major mega difference, and that's what I want to explore today. Open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Let's take a look there. If you find the book of John, what do you do? Hang right. It's not the same book. Written by the same guy, but not the same book. And uh, you might as well just start at Revelation, take a left, right? And uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 10. And we're going to take a look at this text dealing with the fact that God is love, and we're going to begin to tear it apart. Let's go ahead and stand as we get ready to read the Holy Word of God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Here's what the Bible says to you and I. Dear friends, let us what? Love one another. Why? Because love comes from who? God. In fact, listen to this. It's kind of like an acid test. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God, right? Because love comes from God. Whoever, though, does not love... Uh, does not know God because God is love. What's he saying? You sit there and say, oh, I'm a Christian, I love God, I'm wondering. But you don't love other people, something's wrong. You could be a fake, a phony, right? This is how uh, God showed his love among us. He sent what? His one and only son, Jesus, into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God. Are you kidding me? But he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our what? Our sins. You may be seated. And what we see going on in our text here, the Bible is very clear. God, again, he's not just loving. He's not just a God of love. He's not just lovable. The Bible says God is love itself. Now, you might think that's just semantics, not a big deal, but stop and think about that for a second. That means, listen, God is love. That means, therefore, logically, every single thing God has ever done or ever will do is an absolute perfect act of love. You understand that? He's not just loving Everything he does, everything he does, even what's the scriptures say? Nobody likes it, but it's still an act of love. God what? Gives out spanky wankies. He, Hebrews 12, he, he disciplines those whom he loves. It's everything he does. Everything God does is a perfect act of love. Why? Because God is love. That's where that even came from. It came from God. Okay? Everything he's done. But now herein lies our problem. Our society, number one, and if you think it hasn't infected the church, I'm going to sell you some swamp land after service. Okay? Our society's got a twisted, warped view of what love is, certainly biblical love. Have you noticed that? I mean, it's, it's, most people think when you mention this word love, okay, they think that it refers instantly. The first thing out of their minds is it's something that has to do with something physical or something sexual. But the scripture tells you and I that God demonstrated what true love is, who he is, by doing something sacrificial. He sent his one and only son. He didn't, there wasn't 15 to spare. 
He sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die for us. Even when we didn't deserve it. Even when we weren't even looking for him. Now that is love. And see, this is the problem. We, we say, oh yeah, God's love, God loves me. We sing that song, and yeah, love, love. I think many times we become numb to it as the church. Oh, we say we appreciate it, but what did 1 John say? If you really do, then what are you going to get busy doing? Loving other people. I don't know if you notice this, but some churches you go into, it ain't very loving. In fact, you feel like you're the secret agent Christian. I've told you guys stories before, right? In between pastorates and, and Brandy and I, we went to this one church, and for three months, I'm not making this up. She's right here. You can ask her, right? <laughs> three months. Nobody said hi to us. I mean, not even hot, nothing. I, I'm going, I took a shower. I, you know, maybe I'll, I'll change deodorant. I'll do a new brand of toothpaste. Could you please just say hi, please? Come on. I'm not that bad of a guy. So I like wiener dogs. So what? I don't like chicken. So come on. And, and it, it, became a, it became a joke. Every week it was like, okay, come on. Surely somebody's going to say hi. And you, of course, you'd even be, put yourself in front of somebody to <laughs> walk right on by. Something's wrong. The Bible says that if you really are born again, not saying we're perfect and we're not always loving because we still blow up, myself included, but there should be some love because God is love. And if you're born again from him, it's going to come out of you at least once in a while. And see, that's the problem. I think we've become uh, uh, numb to this to the point where I think, frankly, we've lost our appreciation for it. So we're going to begin a multifaceted. I'm going to take my time on this one. Lord willing, we're going to take a look at God's love and hopefully get that appreciation back. Amen? Okay? And then we're going to break it down uh, by each facet. And the first one we're going to look at is God is love, and the Bible reveals he's love by giving us what? Here's the first facet. He is merciful. God is merciful. He demonstrates he is love itself by giving us this thing called mercy. Okay? Now, again, I think we've become numb to this term as Christians. It's one of those, you know, Christianese phrases. Hey, praise God for his mercy. He's merciful to me. Okay, mercy means, listen to this, to bring help to the afflicted or the wretched. Ooh, that's a good word, isn't it? Well, it used to be in the church. Now they've even taken uh, amazing grace that saved a wretch like me and what? We've talked about this before. They've changed it to save a person like me. Because I can't say wretched. That might damage my self-esteem. That's going on in churches today. It means mercy means to bring help to the afflicted or the wretched. In other words, to show compassion by withholding what you deserve. And if you were here last week, what is it that we wretched creatures, myself included, deserve to get for sinning against the holy God? We deserve to die and go straight into hell. hell. That's what we deserve to get. But listen, but out of mercy, God demonstrates his love. Out of mercy, he sent Jesus Christ that we cannot just be rescued from hell, what we deserve. But then he what? He gives us the complete polar opposite. Heaven. Now that is love. That's his mercy. That's how he shows that he is love. This is the, just one facet of it called his mercy. But again, here's our problem. Even in the church, you don't see people celebrating the mercy of God. You don't see people in general pleading for God's mercy. Oh, God, what's the account in the scripture? Oh, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Oh, you can't even say that word today. 
We no longer have people pleading for God's mercy. Listen, they pout for God's justice. We live in a world that's even affecting the church. We think that God owes us something. He owes, oh, you've heard the phrase, hey, 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 I deserve a raise. I deserve a new house. I deserve a car. Hey, listen, that ain't right. How come they, I deserve good health just like everybody else anyway. In fact, even McDonald's, you know the old phrase, hey, you deserve a break today. It's everywhere. You know, if McDonald's, I thought about this. That's what we pastors do once in a while. If McDonald's was theologically correct, they should say, hey, you deserve to go to hell today. You know what I'm saying? But see, that won't sell many burgers, so I don't think they're ever going to do it. Okay? But it's everywhere. It's infected us. TV, everywhere. You, it's all about you, you. We have this mentality like it's owed to us. And now it's transferring over to God. You even have false teaching in the church that say this is God had to send Jesus to save us because we're so worthy. Excuse me? You just removed the word mercy from the scripture. Because what does mercy mean? To show compassion. To help the afflicted, the wretched, to withhold what they deserve. He didn't have to save us. We deserve to die and go straight to hell. Society thinks that God owes them something that's infecting the church. And because of this, they're no longer pleading for God's mercy. They're demanding justice. And I like what one theologian said. Hey, listen, if there's one thing you don't ever want to sit there and shake a fist and demand, don't ever ask for God's justice. Because if we got what we justly deserve, we'd all go instantly burn into hell. Don't ask for his justice. Be thankful and grateful for his mercy through Jesus Christ. Life's a whole lot better. Okay, and so we're going to now begin to, we're starting to unravel it. Now we're getting into this first facet called mercy, how God displays his love. Now let's go deeper into that facet and take a look. How does God demonstrate his love through this thing called mercy, right? And we're going to take a look at that three different ways today. The first way that God reveals his merciful love, okay, is listen to this. He gives his enemies a palace in heaven instead of a pit in hell. I just alluded to that a little bit ago, but let's explore that for a little bit. Okay, he gives us what? A palace in heaven instead of a pit of hell. Now, notice I used the word there, enemies. I didn't make that up. That's what God says. Read, read the book of Romans, right? Very clear about that, folks. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. For if when we were God's what? Enemies. Oh, he had to save us. We were so worth. What Bible are you reading? If it's the one with the purple cover, that's the Barney version. Get rid of it. Okay. <laughs> what? We were his enemies. We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved to his life? And we're just getting started. We're going to really uh, be in Romans 5 for, for a little bit. But our text says here, when we, what, what were we considered? I don't care what the world says. I don't care what the self-respect, self-esteem teachers, false teachers, by the way, say. I don't care what society says. What does the Bible say? What were we considered in God's eyes, myself included, before we got saved? We were God's enemies enemies now don't sin when you do this enemies you ever had an enemy just couldn't wait to take them out to lunch could you you saw them get ready to get in a scrape and you just long to reach out and rescue them before it was well that's what we're supposed to do as Christians we're supposed to love our enemies why because that's what God's done for us but I wanted, you to get, I wanted you to taste that word enemy. Don't, don't react eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. We're supposed to love and pray for those who are enemies. And, but that's what we were in God's eyes. We were enemies. Enemies. 
before we got saved. The scripture does not say that we were Jesus' buddies. You know, for, for before we got saved, we were Christ's BFFs. You know, that's the word today, isn't it? Best friends forever. Yeah, this guy's just so awesome. No, when he said we were God's enemies, okay? And so if people, listen, refuse to be re- reconciled to God through Jesus Christ on the cross, and instead of their own choosing, instead to remain God's enemy, what do they deserve for that behavior? The Bible's clear. The choice is yours. You made the choice, not God. If you don't want to receive the mercy of God, the justice of God will kick in. And you got what you justly deserve. You got, as we saw last week, a pit in hell. Now, for the life of me, why anybody would choose that is beyond me. I have no idea. We talked about this last week, but let's whet our appetite again. What does the Bible say about this place that people actually choose to go to? Let's take a look at some of the characteristics of hell. First of all, it's a place of thirst. Luke chapter 16, a place of worms. Mark chapter 9, a place of no return. You ain't getting out, right? Luke chapter 16, a place of remembrance. You will remember, maybe, even if you're here today, I hope it's not true of you. Every time you had an opportunity to escape from hell through Jesus, and you didn't. It's a place of remembrance, Luke 16. It's a place of the wicked dead, Luke 10. A place of the wicked demons, 2 Peter 2. A place of the bottomless pit, Luke chapter 8. A place of the burning waste dump, Matthew 23. A place of outer darkness, Matthew chapter 8. A place of fire, Revelation 20. A place of the lake of fire, hell eventually goes into the lake of fire, Revelation 20. A place of eternal fire, Matthew 18. A place of unquenchable fire. It's a place of everlasting punishment. It never stops, Matthew 25. A place of eternal condemnation, Mark 3. A place of eternal judgment, Hebrews chapter 6. A place of everlasting destruction, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. A place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why didn't I respond? Why? Why was I so stubborn? Why was I more? And you can't change it. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a place of torment. Luke chapter 16. It's a place of eternal torment. It never, ever, ever goes away. And I have already said the most amazing time you will ever spend is the first five minutes after you die. Man is the only creature that knows he's going to die, and he's trying desperately to forget the fact that he's going to die. And if you mention death, there are people who will get a little nervous, and they will change the subjects very much like you do with your channel changer on television. They don't want to think about death. is a real place. Men may laugh and they may make jokes about the existence of such a place as hell, 
natural instinct is either to ignore it, to not think about it whatsoever, or to deny it. God and I'm going to face him. I'm going to have to give an account for the way I preach. I'd much rather God say to me, Adrian, when you preached on hell, you took my word too literally. I'd much rather him say that to me than, Adrian, when you preached on hell, you explained it away and you did not take my word seriously. I'm going to preach it like God wrote it. Like God wrote it. Here is a man who said, I am tormented in this flame. Don't water that down. Don't try to explain that away. It's a place of sensual misery. It's a place of emotional misery. In verse 25, Abraham says to this rich man, Son Remember, you will carry your memory to hell. Psychologists tell us we never, never forget anything. Nothing. You say, oh, I've forgotten many things. They're there stored in your brain. Push the right button, they'll come back. You go to hell, you will remember. You will remember every lie you ever told, every dirty joke, Every time you took God's name in vain, every gray hair you gave to your mother, every wrinkle you pinched in your father's brow, you will remember. You will remember the people prayed for you and begged you and pled with you to come to Christ. You will remember. seem like an alert audience, you may very well have had that granola bar to keep that brain going. But I'm kind of thinking, that's not a very fun place to be. You know what I'm saying? If you're going to take a vacation, you know, if you're going to go somewhere, don't go there. And it ain't a vacation because once you get there, you ain't getting out. Hell is not a fun place to be. Now, and here's the, here's the point. In all seri- who, in the, who in the right mind? Who in the right mind would choose a place like that? Listen, especially... I can see if you're doomed, there's no option. Why would you choose to go to a place like that when you didn't have to? You really don't have to. You sitting here today, you don't have to. Why? Because of the merciful love of God. This is what's so mind-blowing. God 
is love, and he shows that love in being merciful, okay? We deserve that place. I deserve that place. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We deserve a pit in hell, but through Jesus Christ, listen, we cannot just be rescued from that place. Oh, boy. We get to go to this place called heaven. Now, heaven is one place you don't want to miss. Let's flip it around. Here's what you could have had. Right? Characteristics of heaven, right? It's the dwelling place of God. Psalm chapter 2. It's the dwelling place of his holy angels. Matthew chapter 18. It's a heavenly country. Hebrews chapter 11. It's a holy place itself. Isaiah 57. Oh, by the way, holy means without sin. No sin, nothing wrong ever. Once you get there, you're never getting out, and it's awesome the whole time. It never stops. Woo! It's an eternal paradise, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's a place where the streets are made of gold. Revelation 21. A place where the gates are made of pearls. Revelation 21. A place where the foundations are precious gems. It's a place of not just rest but of eternal rest okay it's a place of eternal joy it's a revelation 7 a place without wickedness revelation 22 without darkness revelation 21 without sin revelation 21 a place without tears it's a place without mourning it's a place without pain listen you will never have to see anybody die you'll never have to say goodbye to your love you will never attend a funeral in heaven and you're just getting going forever and ever Everybody you're around, you always get along with. There's no such thing as a bad day, bad emotion, bad Nothing's bad. And it just keeps getting better. It's a place without death, Revelation 21. It's a place of absolute purity, Revelation 21. A place filled with the glory of God, Revelation 21. And it's an everlasting place. Again, I don't know if you appreciate this, but once you get there, you don't get kicked out. And you're not coming back. Who'd want to come back? And here's the point. I don't know about you, but... Okay, okay, every time you're alive, every day we're alive, this is your choice. I don't think it's a hard choice. Okay, hmm, which one would you rather have, right? Would you rather have that palace in heaven or how about that pit in hell? It doesn't seem that hard, right? Okay, and listen, it's all because of the merciful love of God. And to think, listen, we not only do not deserve that, but it's free for us. It costs God everything. It costs the life of his son. I like this. R.A. Torrey, if you're familiar with him, he said this. If you in any way, Christian, pastor, Bible teacher, Sunday school teacher, children's worker, if you in any way abate the doctrine of hell, it will abate your zeal. Right? Because this is urgent. And it's simple, folks, because when you understand that we all deserve, myself included, a pit in hell, yet out of mercy, God will instead give us the polar opposite, a place, a palace in heaven, it's kind of hard to keep your mouth shut about it, right? That's why the gospel means what? Good news. That's the best news of all. I'm not saying, hey, would you like a cheeseburger or would you like a sloppy joe? Right? Oh, mm-hmm. Hi, hey, would you like to go straight into hell, burn forever, worms the whole nine yards? Woo-hoo! Or would you like to go to the absolute polar opposite? Oh, by the way, it's free. All you got to do is receive it. It's free. No strings attached. It's free. You know what Paul says? He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. What's there to be ashamed of? No wonder it's called the good news. You can't get better news than this. And it's real. And you know why? It's because God is love, and he makes it all possible through this one facet of his love called mercy. It's wonderful. Absolutely Mind-blowing. The second way that 
the Bible reveals the merciful love of God, is listen, he'll give his enemies, remember, again, it's not his best buddies, his enemies, listen, a body of perfection instead of a body of pain. A body of perfection instead of a body of pain. Now let's go back to Romans and once again find out what was our standing like before we got saved according to God. Not ourselves, not society. Romans chapter 5, now verse 6. You see, at just the right time when we were still what? Powerless, hopeless. I had no ability. I'm doomed. While we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly. Again, here, here's the point. I think it's pretty obvious. It's, the Bible says, that what were we considered in the eyes of God prior to getting saved? We weren't just his enemies. We were ungodly. It didn't say the godly ones. It didn't say the good ones. The great ones. Ungodly. Now, let, let's whet our appetite. Get that in the brain. Don't think about sin. But have you guys noticed there's some really ungodly things going on in our society today? Have you realized the ungodly things that are being portrayed in the media? Have you seen the ungodly things they're teaching kids in schools today? Have you seen the ungodly behavior? and the? That's what God says we were to him before we got saved. And then what do you do? I'll give you my mercy. ungodly ones and so here's the point if you refuse to be reconciled to god through jesus christ and instead remain in that state of ungodliness what do you deserve it's your choice you did it the bible says the choice is yours if you don't want to receive the loving wonderful mercy of god then the justice of god he will kick in and what you will get for that you will not only get a pit in hell but when you're in that pit in hell you're going to get a body of pain forever now why in the world anybody would choose that one too is beyond me in fact one guy he describes it like this he said this for a moment just for a moment try to imagine what it would be like to die and go to hell try to imagine that for every single moment throughout all eternity a time without end every inch of your body will be in absolute pain it will be like having scalding boiling water poured over your body every single second you say to yourself, surely the pain will subside, but it never comes. Your body will have an eternity without rest, without relief. It is writhing in pain. You scream in horrors. Your feet and hands blister. Your hair catches on fire. You nod to tongue, trying desperately to relieve the torment. Your throat becomes raw from all your screaming. You go under the surface of the molten lava. You're gnashing your teeth and weeping as you gasp for air in the burning brimstone. It starts to flow into your mouth. You're on fire inside and out. You try to focus your eyes in the endless, everlasting, permanent dwelling place of total torment, but they burn with such a pain as though they're melting in the sockets. Through the smoke and the flame, you finally focus on the worms that have begun to engulf your entire body. They're crawling all over you, and you realize in horror, they're feasting on you. You can feel them as they crawl in and out of you, but you're not consumed. The horrid smell of blazing sulfur combined with the sickening odor of burning hair, the scorching flesh that lingers in your nose, nausea overwhelms you, the roar of the flames, the piercing screams of the damned seem to tear at your ears. Oh, just for a moment of silence, but it never comes. You can't run away this time. Your thoughts return to the time when you were in a Bible-believing, preaching church. You can still remember the time when the preacher was talking to you about this hopeless place of darkness and pain, but you didn't want to listen. So for eternity, you will scream those words again and again and again, over and over, but they're never heard. This is not fantasy. It's not imagination. This is reality. This is your reality apart from Christ in hell. And again, folks, man, the biblical rule is this. Any description 
that we can come up with from man's point of view of what Bible describes in the scripture pales in comparison to the reality. And that's pretty graphic. It's even worse than that. And I don't know about you, but again, I don't think that's a, that's a very fun body to have. That's not a good one. And so again, with all due respect, I mean, who in the right mind? the right mind would choose to say, yeah, sign me up for that body forever. Listen, I could see if that was our fate and we're doomed. It's over. I'm powerless. I can't change my fate. Oh, no. But you don't have to. I mean, you deserve that. I deserve that. But you don't have to. You don't have to have that kind of body. Why? Because of the merciful love of God. It's absolutely mind-blowing. The Bible says, listen, we all deserve that body of pain, but if you would just take it, if you would receive it, Jesus has won for us a body of perfection. Yeah. Look at what you can have, man. This is awesome, man. This is great. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 and 44. It's the same way Paul says for the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies, which die and decay, they're going to be different when they're resurrected, right? For they will never die. Now, there's natural bodies, uh, human bodies now, but when they're raised, there's going to be spiritual bodies. It's going to happen. For just as there are natural bodies, so also there are spiritual bodies. Right? First Corinthians 15 is called the resurrection chapter. Read it. Absolutely amazing news. When a person dies, when they go to heaven through Jesus Christ, that's the only way. As a Christian, when you die and you go to heaven, you don't just get a new home. You don't just get that palace in heaven. What do you get along with it? You get a new Body, yeah, a new vehicle to walk around in. And, and, and what, is it, what kind of a vehicle? It's, it's incredible. The scripture says it's imperishable. It's imperishable. Listen, break that down. What does it mean to have an imperishable body? That means, unlike what we're dealing with today, let alone in hell, if a person went to hell, they will never die. Your body will not decay. That's a good word. How many guys glad you're not going to rot in heaven? Your body, you won't die. You won't rot. Listen, you won't decay. Listen, your body won't break down. Your body's not going to age. I mean, think of it. Everything we go through here on earth, just on, I'm not even talking about hell now, just talking about earth. Everything we go through, we have to deal with the older we get. Man, no more back aches, no more broken bones, no more disease. Ladies, no more anti-aging creams. I mean, it's, it's awesome. Our bodies will never break down. They'll never decay. Listen, they'll never wear out. You're always at your peak, always, all the time, only all the time. forever oh and then it not just says that it's imperishable the, the scripture says your body's going to be spiritual i don't have time to go into that too much but the bible says that our bodies are going to be like jesus body after he was raised from the dead and when you study the characteristics of jesus resurrected body he was not affected by matter he could travel instantly anywhere at any time one minute he was there the next minute he wasn't how many guys would say that that would get rid of all traffic right which if that, then that means you got no more cars you got no more toll booths no more Car taxes, praise God. There's no DMV in heaven. <laughs> Woo, something to look forward to. Praise God. Okay. But folks, this is seriously, right? We can just sit here and just, our minds can be blown away. Why? It's not pie in the sky. It's like, oh, I sure hope it happens that way. No, that's what the Bible says. All because of the merciful love of God. We don't deserve it but he made it possible, for real. Another guy, maybe you've heard of him, A.W. Tozier. 
He said this, listen, Christian, the vague and tenuous hope that God is too kind to punish the ungodly has become a deadly opiate for the consciences of millions. Why? Because, folks, this is what happens when you understand the merciful love of God. When you understand that we, myself included, all deserve that pit in hell, we deserve that body of pain. And yet, out of mercy, God not only rescues us from that reality, he gives us the other one on top. A perfect body. Forever and ever and ever and ever. What? All because of his merciful love. And you can't help but what? Dude, can we stop talking about the weather now? All right? If I have to talk about politics one more second, I'm going to puke. How about we talk about this? You can know for sure today that you're going to heaven and not hell. You can know for sure today that you're going to get a body, not of torment, but one that is perfect. It's amazing. It's real. Can we talk about that? no, No pastor was there guilting you into it. You didn't have to wait for a sermon to motivate you, right? It's just natural because you know that's what you get and who wouldn't want that for everybody, including their enemies, When you understand, as we saw last week, the gravity of hell, you wouldn't wish for anybody to go there. At least show them the option. The third and final way that we see the merciful love of God is, get this, God will give his what? His enemies, remember it's a key word, we don't deserve it, his enemies a heavenly greeting instead of a hellish goodbye. A heavenly greeting instead of a hellish goodbye. Once again, let's take a look. What was our standing before we got saved? Let's go back to the book of Romans. This time, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us while we were still what? Sinners. Okay? While we were still sinners, what happened? Christ what? He waited for us to clean up our act so that we could be acceptable. No, he waited for us to do all these neat things. He waited for us to put stop doing. No. While we were sinners. Christ died for it. Hey, let's, let's again, let's whet, whet our appetite. Have you ever had somebody sinned against you? Christian, non-Christian, I mean really, really get you good. And man, that hurt. I mean, it wasn't, just the, it wasn't just the knife in the back. It was the pickaxe. It was the shovel and not even the pointing kind. It was the square blunt end. <clears throat> they got you good. Now, You love those people to Christ. I'm not saying relish in that sin. But did you know that's why the Bible says God considered us before we got saved? Who put the sins on Christ? Whose sins was it? It was ours. The Bible says that we were considered in God's eyes. We were not the saintly ones. The super duper ones. The special people that God had to save. No, we were sinners. Sinners, okay? And so here's the point. If people refuse to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, and if you want to remain in that state, that's your choice. If you want to remain a sinner, what do you deserve for that behavior? The Bible says, hey, you did it to yourself. The choice is yours. If you don't want to receive the mercy of God, the justice of God will kick in, and guess what? You're not going to leave this planet in a good state. In fact, when you take a look at people who die and leave this earth without Christ, it's not good. Let's take a look. People who sit there and mock God, mock his mercy, mock his son, mock his love and his sacrifice that they could have received. 
How do they leave this earth? It's not very good. Uh, Thomas Paine, he said, I would give the worlds if I had them with the age of reason and never been published. Oh, Lord, help me, Christ, help me stay with me. It's hell to be left alone, and he died. Voltaire, the atheist, right? He said, I'm abandoned my God and man. I shall go to hell, oh, Jesus Christ, and he died. Last words of David Hume, the atheist, he died in utter despair in an awful scene, crying out, I am in the flames, and he died. A Karl Marx, he was on his deathbed, surrounded by candles burning to Lucifer. He screamed at his nurse, who asked him if he had any last words. And he said, go on, get out. Last words are for fools who haven't said enough. And he died. Oh, Nietzsche, remember him, who said God is dead? He died insane, completely out of his mind. Oh, it's Sir Thomas Scott. He said, until now, I thought there was no God or hell. Now I know there's both, and I am doomed. Oh, uh, Sir Francis Newport, he says, don't tell me there is no God, for I know there is one, and that I'm in his angry presence. You need not tell me there is no hell, for I already feel my soul slipping into its fire. I know that I am lost forever. And he died. I've heard stories of other pastors. Sometimes you make it to the hospital in time. Sometimes you don't. And this one guy that he'd been witnessing to for quite some time, quite some time, and he was, this was in Texas, and he was a big, tough, manly man, oil-rigging guy. He didn't need Jesus. What happened that day was a, a load of pipes fell on him and crushed his chest. They rushed him to the hospital. The pastor gets the call. He's running down there. And the guy he knew wasn't saved, and it wasn't looking good. And so he's running down there to try to share Christ with him one more time. He literally runs around the corner of the hospital, gets into the room, and the guy turns. He's in the, in the bed there, and, and he's sitting there, and he says he's clawing, clawing at the sheets, going, Pastor, I'm in the flames, Pastor. And then he died. Remember what we saw last week? People in hell wish that people on earth would tell their loved ones about hell. And yet we just don't seem to want to deal with it. But you take a look at that goodbye, because we're all going to leave the earth some way. But how many guys would say that's not a very fun way to go? We can all at least agree on that one, okay? And who in the right mind would choose to have a departure like that? I don't know. And again, I can see, hey, if that's all you get, you get one choice, you're going down this, and you have no option, but you have an option. You, see, see, you don't have to go like that. Why? Because of the merciful love of God. He has given you what you don't deserve, what I don't deserve. In fact, the scripture says that when God takes us, it's going to be the beginning of eternal bliss. Our last breath here is our first breath in heaven, and so shall it always be. It's awesome. Sometimes when you see Christians die... It's almost like they get a taste of heaven before they get there. How would you like to go like this? This is part of the option, you know. Uh, uh, famous uh, Christian Dwight Moody, he woke from sleep shortly before he died. He says, earth recedes. Heaven opens before me. If this is death, it's sweet. There's no valleys here. God's calling me. I must go. And his son actually said, no, 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 Father, you're dreaming. And his dad corrected him and says, son, I'm not dreaming. I've been within the gates. This is my triumph. This is my coronation day. It is glorious. And he died and went to heaven. Whoa. Uh, this guy, the preacher, who wrote the uh, hymn, Rock of Ages, he said, the consolations of God to such an unworthy wretch are so abundant that he leaves me nothing to pray for but a continuance of them. I enjoy heaven already in my soul. <gasps> and he died. What a way to go. Lady Glenorg said, if this is, listen, if this is dying, it's the what? Pleasantest thing imaginable. 
and she went to heaven. Uh, John Pawson, minister, he said, I know I'm dying, but my deathbed is a bed of roses. I got no thorns planted on my dying pillow. In Christ, heaven is already begun. And he went to heaven. Adoniram Judson, famous missionary, he said, I go with the gladness of a boy bounding away from school. Woo! I feel so strong in Christ. How many guys couldn't wait to get out of school? Man, that was the best day ever. Woohoo! Yeah, man. People had to slap your feet down. Stop! You're looking like a monkey, right? Woohoo! That's how he died. He went to heaven going, cha. It's real. Uh, John Lith, he says, Can this be death? Listen. He said, Why? It is better than living. Tell him I die happy in Jesus. And he died. Martha McCracken said, How bright the room, how full the angels. Lady I used to pastor in Northern California. Her name was Ann Delagana. I've shared the story before. And uh, she was dying of a horrible death. She got that flesh-eating disease thing. Yeah, it's very painful. It literally just your body's being eaten alive. You know how she spent the last, I'm not kidding. This is a person I pastored. You know how she spent the last day and a half of her life on earth? I mean, she should be in torment. I'm just, ah, her body's being eaten alive. Every time somebody came into her room, all she could sit there is just smile and go, can't you hear the music? Can't you see the angels? And she went to heaven. God is so merciful to us. Mary Frances says, oh, that I can tell you what joy I possess the Lord to shine with such power on my soul, and she died. Sir David Brewster, he said, listen, I see Jesus. I will see Jesus. I'll see him as he is. I've had the light for many years. Oh, how bright it is. I feel what? He's dying. I feel so safe and satisfied. Uh, a Muslim woman whose child had died at 16 years of age asked the Christian missionary, what did you do to our daughter? And the missionary says, we didn't do anything. The mother persists and says, oh, yes, you did. She died smiling. Our people don't die like that. As it turns out, the girl got saved just a few months before she died. Became a Christian. Fear and death had gone. Hope and joy had taken its place. And finally, as I shared before, a Chinese communist through whom many Christians have been executed said to a Christian pastor, quote, I've seen many new Christians die. The Christians die in a different way. What is your secret? I'll tell you what the secret is. We Christians die in Christ. We realize that, praise God, he gave us a choice. We realize that through the merciful love of God, I don't get what I deserve. That's why it's called mercy. He's withholding that. He'll give me the complete polar opposite. And we just said, yes. That's, how, that's why that happens like that. That's all we did. All we did was say, yes, I'll take that choice. And that's what we get. I don't think it's a hard choice to make. What do you want? You want the hellish goodbye? Or do you want that heavenly greeting? Woohoo! I'm out of here. The choice is yours. Listen, it's not just that it's free, it's not just that Jesus did it for us. This is what that word mercy means. It means we don't deserve it. God could send, myself included, every single one of us, all of humanity of all history, straight into hell. He could have nuked the planet at the first sin, started all over. But he says, no, I am love. And I'm going to show you one way that I am not, not loving, not lovable, I am love itself. 
And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you a choice. Here's your option. You don't deserve it, but I'm going to give you an option. That's mercy. One guy says this. He says, listen, you got to understand the love of God. And if you do, it'll change you. If you say you do, but nothing's changed, something's wrong. He said this. He says, the particular love of God for his own, the church, Christians. He said, the particular love of God for his own, it's overwhelming. It's powerful. If you don't stand in awe of it, then you really don't grasp its significance. We ought to be in awe of his mercy, of his love, just like Israel. We should be humiliated before such love. God doesn't owe it to us, yet he condescends to love us nonetheless. If our hearts aren't stirred with love of God in return, listen, he said there's something terribly wrong with us. And now you're back to 1 John 4, aren't you? Oh, I love God. God loves me. I'm so happy. I'm so grateful. For that. But you don't share that same mercy. How did he treat us? Enemies, ungodly sinners? How are we supposed to treat others, including people who sin against us, who are ungodly towards us? We're not condoning it. Even our enemies. We do what was done for us. And what's Jesus say? And in that, they'll know you're my disciples. Why? Because God is love. And he showed us mercy. We should do the same. And if that isn't working in you, something's wrong. And I'll use his words, something's terribly wrong. That's not, a, that's not a good sign. Oh, but it gets even worse, unfortunately, as we close. There's another trend I've noticed in the American church. I, I think we've become numb to the fact that God loves us. God loves you. God's, and we, we don't even, do you have any idea what you're saying? And are you distributing that love to other people? That's one thing. But again, remember, he's merciful. He saves us from what? He saves us from what we deserve. That's what the word mercy means. And, and we have this horrible uh, 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 behavior that literally half of the American church denies why we even have the word mercy, meaning they deny hell. If God is a merciful God, but you never deal with hell, don't you take away mercy? Don't you cheapen mercy? No wonder people aren't pleading for mercy. Because we don't tell them what the word mercy means. We don't tell them the consequences. We don't talk about hell. Half the church doesn't believe in hell. You know what I've noticed almost the other half is doing? We're trying our best to hide away from that thing. I call hell the silent H word, the American church. Oh, we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to deal with it. Oh, or, or, all right, I guess I better do. We try to soften it. Right? We try to put cushion around it. And we do that with Christianese phrases that I want to explain to you. The first phrase that I've seen Christians come up with, just to try to soften the existence of hell, which really denies the mercy of God, they say, they say this, hey, hey, you want to say a person to you? Uh, you don't want to have a Christless eternity, do you? Huh? Right? Christless eternity. Christless eternity. I, mean, I remember the first time I heard this, it was back on the East Coast. I go, what? Christless eternity? What's a, what do you mean Christless eternity? In fact, flip it around. What does a Christless eternity mean to a person who doesn't know Christ? I mean, this is their problem. They already don't know Christ, and they think they're fine for eternity. 
So how does the word Christless eternity help them realize that unless they get right and receive the merciful love of God through Jesus Christ, they're going to hell? Hell is supposed to sting. It's supposed to scare. It's supposed to motivate. And it's supposed to magnify the fact that God is merciful. And that he will, we have an option. So why in the world would you sit there and say Christless? It's okay to say hell, you know, in the Christian context. The second phrase I've heard Christians come up and say, all right, I'll tell you what, uh, Christ is eternity, but hey, 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 don't you want to go to heaven? Don't you want to go to heaven? Well, turn to somebody and say these profound words. Well, duh. <laughs> I mean, come on. Are you serious? Don't you want to go to heaven? Excuse me. Of course people want to go to heaven. Who in the world doesn't want to go to heaven? In fact, oftentimes, that's their problem. They already think they're going to heaven. Right? Because of good works or this, or they're not that bad of a person. That's their problem. Okay? Yet the Bible says without Jesus Christ, you're not going to heaven. Guess what? You're going to hell. It's not just you don't want to go to heaven. You don't want to go to hell. Please, please don't go to hell. Right? The third one we come up with is we'll say this. We'll say, hey, well, you need to get saved. You need to, and I, I got to admit that's better than the first two. But again, as we talked last week, you got to fill in the blank. Saved from what? Right? Saved from a bad life? Saved from a mediocre existence? A zit? Acne problem? A chicken dinner? Uh, Saved from what? Low self-esteem. Saved from what? Saved from hell. Don't assume, Christian, that uh, the lost person knows what we're talking about, because guess what? Oftentimes they don't. They don't want to believe in hell. But there's something about saying that word, hell. Don't you want to be saved from hell? It's supposed to sting. Spell it out. That's what Jesus did. The fourth phrase, again, we saw this last week, and I'll just, I got to hit it again. And they say this, well, hey, listen, Pastor Billy, I'd love to do that, but you don't understand my family, my friends, my coworkers, and all those people. I, 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 I just, I don't want to scare them off. <laughs> I'll say it again. Where are you going to scare them off to? Hell number two? What's the option? There is no option. The only option is heaven through Jesus, hell if you reject him. That's it. I would rather have somebody scare me straight into heaven than to keep their mouth shut and I go to hell. In fact, Christian, we need to deal with this as we get ready to close. If you keep up this attitude, I've seen this rampant on both sides of the coast now as a pastor. Even here in Vegas. You keep up this attitude, you refuse to mention hell. And try to soften its existence. Try to hide from its existence. Don't even talk about its existence. Couch it in all these Christian. Is that the kind of friend you really want? When you got eternity on the line? You keep it up. You might end up with one of these letters, so to speak. Let's take a look at this. What if? What if you had a friend who died without knowing Jesus as their personal savior? What if he or she went to hell? What if one day you received a letter in the mail from beyond? A letter from hell. A letter from your friend in the flames of eternal torment. I've been thinking about you. Zach, you're a Christian. You told me so yourself. I mean, we talked about it three different times today. Kelly brought it up, and you laughed it off. Coach Adams brought it up, and you changed the subject. 
I mean, it came up right before the wreck. Well, the question I can't get out of my mind is this, Zach. Why haven't you ever told me about how to become a Christian? I mean, you say you're my friend. But if you really were, you would have told me about this Jesus and told me how to escape this terrible place that I'm headed for. I can feel my heart pounding in my chest. The angels who have been chosen to cast me into hell are coming down the hallway. I can hear their footsteps. I've heard of this hell, Zach. They call it the lake of fire. I can't stand it, Zach. I'm terrified. No, the angels are at the door. Oh, no. No! They're coming in, and they're pointing at me. They're grabbing me and carrying me out of the room. I can already smell the burning sulfur and brimstone. I can see the edge of the cliff where hell burns. This is it. I am without hope. We're coming closer. 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 My heart is bursting with fear. They're holding me over the flames. I'm damned forever. This is it. They have thrown me in. Fire. Pain. Hell. Why, Zach? Why didn't you ever tell me about Jesus? Jesus. Signed. Your friend. Josh. Yes. Wish you were here. 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 I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And yet, that's what it seems like we spend our time doing making excuses about salvation through Jesus Christ. Salvation saved from where? Through Jesus Christ. Hell. And when we refuse to talk about it, deal with it, try to soften it, make excuses for it, people in hell have every right to say, I wish you were here. Wish you were here. Wish you were. That's not the kind of friend I would want. I'm glad for the guy that I was mean and abused. And I was nasty to him. And he kept telling me about Jesus. And I didn't get saved on the spot, but he planted seeds in my heart for that day when I knew what to do. To make the ultimate choice and choose God's mercy. We can't keep our mouth shut, Christian. This is the most egregious thing. Scare them into heaven. Don't love them into hell. That's not love. It's not God's love. And so as we close, taking nothing for granted, even here at sunrise, I don't know your heart here today. I'd love to think that every one of us here is truly a born-again Christian. But I'm not under that illusion. If you're here today and you're not born again, I plead with you one last time. Please, please, don't go to hell. This could be your last day here on earth. And if you die 
without receiving God's merciful love through Jesus Christ, you're going to that place. You don't have to. Choose Christ before it's too late. We'll close in prayer after this. Don't go to hell. Please, I beg you, don't go to hell. Mr. Ron Reagan also experienced visions of hell while clinically dead. If you don't get to a hospital, you'll bleed to death in just a few minutes. A young paramedic looked down into my face, and I could barely see him. I was so weak. But he said, Sir, you need Jesus Christ. And as he was talking to me, it, it appeared like the ambulance literally exploded in flames. I, I thought it had actually blown up. It filled with smoke. And immediately I was moving through that smoke as if through a tunnel. And after some period of time coming out of the smoke and out of the darkness, I began to hear the voices of a multitude of people screaming and groaning and crying. But as I looked down, the sensation was looking down upon a, a, a volcanic opening and seeing fire and smoke and, and people inside of this burning place screaming and crying. They were burning, but they weren't burning up. They weren't being consumed. And then the sensation of moving downward into this. But, but the most terrible part of it, I began to recognize many of the people that I was seeing in these flames as if a close-up lens on a camera was bringing their faces close to me. I could, I could see their features and see the agony and the pain and the frustration. And a number of them began to call my name and said, Ronnie, don't come to this place. There's no way out. There's no escape. If you come here, there's no way out. I believe the most painful part of it was the loneliness. And the depression was so heavy that there was no hope. There was no escape. There was no way out of this place. And the smell was like a sulfur, like an electric welder. And as I'm looking into this, this pit, this place of fire and screams and, and torment, I just fade out into blackness. And when I open my eyes, I'm in a hospital room in Knoxville, Tennessee. My wife is sitting by. I didn't know the sinner's prayer. I didn't know the Roman road of salvation. But my prayer was this, God, if you exist, and Jesus, if you are God's lamb, please, please kill me or cure me. And Jesus Christ became Lord and Savior of my life that morning. And from that moment, I knew that I had to tell the story of what had happened to me. My life was only spared to tell others about the place that I had seen and the hope of Jesus Christ to save mankind from this terrible fate. I knew what I had to do. I had to tell other people of the place that I was spared from. 
1 John chapter 4. You say that you love God? You appreciate His mercy in sending His Son? What's the natural response? I've got to let other people know. Let's give back to being those kind of loving Christians who will love them enough to plead with them, please, don't go to hell. Accept the mercy and the wonderful love of God through Jesus before it's too late. Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay, the Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest, we've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, 
You're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ.
Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.